This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. Great day to be an Evertonian as Everton were victorious 1 0 over Brighton and Hove Albion at Goodison Park. I am James here, of course. And actually not joined by Alex today, who is currently in the process of going through a home inspection. Uh, he's looking to buy a house, so he was not able to catch the game. He's probably looking at like a decrepit attic at the moment <laughs> or something along those lines. Hopefully not too decrepit, but anyway, um, in his stead, we have Ethan Cooksley from the Philadelphia Evertonians. Ethan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, James. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot to talk about. Lots of big talking points from this game. For sure. Yeah, it was ex- it was it was an exciting match, probably for the first seventy minutes or so. But before we dive into all that chat, I did want to just make the official announcement on the podcast. If you didn't see on our Twitter yesterday, Alex and I announced that we are making our first pilgrimage to Goodison Park. We'll be headed over uh, February twenty seventh, I believe. We fly to Dublin and then we'll be going flying to Manchester and and getting to Liverpool. So we'll be at Goodison for the Manchester United match. And then we'll be traveling to London to Stamford Bridge to see Everton versus Chelsea. Uh, I personally have literally never been more excited. I tweeted this about anything in my entire life. This has been my number one vacation destination for probably almost a decade now. And to finally like buy the plane ticket and have it be real um, is I'm just in a constant state of like euphoria almost right now. <laughs> and it's been uh, we announced it yesterday on Twitter and it was honestly like amazing the response that we got the number of people who have reached out to us offering advice offering to help us get tickets offering to put us in contact with people at the club because of course going over we definitely want to try to get some really cool content for all our listeners and so it has been really humbling to see you know the amount of reach that we've managed to uh, garner in like the two years that we've been doing the show so it's been amazing but um, so, so just a big thank you to everyone out there. And if you aren't on Twitter and you have advice as far as where to stay, what to see, et cetera, et cetera, uh, please hit us up, hit up our email. You can find us on Facebook and definitely let us know because we want to soak as much in as we possibly can. So with that said, let's get right into it, Ethan. We started uh, nine o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time and we had the lineups drop and predictably um, Gilfie Sigurdsson remained in midfield. And that was sort of the immediate thing that made everyone's heads kind of explode. I tweeted just like a mushroom cloud gif because I knew as soon as I saw that, that the fan reaction was just going to be after what happened at, at Anfield going to be just re- immediately reactionary. Yeah. I mean, I, especially after, like you said, what happened at Anfield, I think that was really the big kind of most shocking there's, especially for this season, there's been a lot of polarizing characters within the team where it seems as though at the beginning of the season, there were certain people who were going to be considered to be coming back with just a lot to prove, especially after last season. I mean, Gilfie had a really, really good start at the club when we first signed him. 
and he kind of, his performance is sort of waxed and wanes, but I think people were thinking that he, him, um, working as the number 10 behind, uh, Dom and Richie this season was really going to kind of, this was going to be sort of a renaissance for him. And we were going to try to incorporate him more to get what we paid all of that money for out of him. And he really just hasn't delivered so far this season, looking really, really slow, not convincing on the ball. Um, the stat that I can't remember if I heard it off you guys or off the football daily, which I listened to, but just the total number of back passes that they completed, almost right. no forward passes to support our attacking line. Um, really just disappointing for um, the money that we paid and the return has not been great. So I think we all kind of looked at that lineup uh, this morning and were definitely a little bit, a little bit nervous as far as um, supporting our, our forward players today. Definitely. And then elsewhere in the lineup, we did have several other changes. We had Bernard return back to the starting lineup. I was very happy to see Bernard come back. And then Michael Keane returns to center back. And then we put Theo Walcott on the right-hand side, which um, isn't too much of a big change. We've seen him out there before, but to to shift from having both City Bay and Coleman, I think it, it suited the match where we know at Goodison, we're going to try to attack and possess more of the ball. So I was happy to see, you know, the wingers look, at least in selection, very positive. And then once the game got started, uh, it sort of played out that way. We were really came out, came out of the gates firing on all cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, there was clearly urgency, especially from our forward players. Dom, especially just was absolutely run ragged. I mean, but he had energy absolutely start to finish. I mean, we'll, we'll obviously touch on this later about more what kind of fell apart towards the end of the match. But I think the one thing that you can say consistent, consistently is that, um, our two men up top who've been doing a job all season for us continue to do what they do best, which is just absolutely press, um, our opponent's back line and really try to dig in there and dig deep and, and make, and make those players nervous. And Brighton's got a bunch of big guys back there and they, mm -hmm. they did not stand down, um, for a fight this entire match. I was really impressed by that. Yeah. I was pleased to see the, the fight with which everyone came out uh, again, like I said, out of the gates. It, I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that finally we've had a reprieve from the relentless. Uh, just run of fixtures throughout the December month of December, which has just been crazy. And Carlos said it, if you saw his pre-match comments um, in the program that were tweeted out uh, that it, it's been really, this is the first time he's had a full week to just kind of settle with the squad and work on things. And, and I think it was clear the work that had been put in on the training ground for the first, probably, you know, 70 minutes of this game. And, you know, I, you have to give uh, perhaps a bit unfortunate for Brighton to be missing players like Aaron Moy, um, they, they went with Davey Proper and Dale Stevens in central midfield. And yet, like you said, those, those big three center backs, they caused us some problems, but you could tell that our pace was continually causing their back line a lot of issues as well. And I thought in particular, Bernard operated unbelievably well in the first half with finding the space sort of on, not on the wing, but in those areas that were vacated by Sigurdsson and Davies as they, they pressed and, and created space for the, the wide players like Walcott and, uh, Bernard to, to cut in. And then shortly into the match, we had the first VAR debacle of the day, but not the last, which was the pull on Theo Walcott that I just still can't believe was not given as a penalty. Um, but it was that, that sort of got the crowd up, I guess, for behind the team and, uh, got the energy in the stadium for at least a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that, that for me was a very pivotal moment because I was looking at that and it's so, it's so early on the match when you have 
something like a VAR decision go against you that early in the match, it's either, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to motivate you to go out there and really give a performance to make, to make up for it, or it's going to put you in a situation where, I mean, it's been a really, really heavy week news wise with, uh, fans showing up at Finch Farm and talking to Marcel Brands and then all of the drama that the commentators talked about a couple times with uh, a fan messaging Delph uh, over Twitter and getting a response from him. So I think the, the most important thing was kind of Goodison being behind the team today. And when you get um, a decision like that gone against you so early in the game, I think it can either light a fire under you or it can um, kind of make you frustrated and kind of leave everybody not in the right headspace. But I would say that we had a really, really strong first half. And I think that the, I think that it had the more positive effect of really motivating the players to to go out there. And um, Theo Walcott was, at least for the first half, just really dug in and had a lot of grit, a lot of speed. Um, still, my biggest criticism with him is not always making the smart pass or the pass that he should and trying to take the ball on for too long and run too long and not depend on uh, the people um, on either side of him. But he he showed a lot of fight given um, the decision called against him, which I thought was great. Yeah, I did think Walcott had a, had a standout performance for me. I mean, we know that Theo Walcott can do a job. He continues his season long trend of being unable to go for the full 90 minutes. So for me, it just He's, he's good for 70 minutes or so. And then he, he dramatically fades as his legs tire and he's getting older. So, but he can still do a job with his pace and he was really effective today. And Bernard has a lot of pace and you could tell that having Bernard on the left hand flank rather than someone like Tom Davies, who's been shoehorned out there a couple times and actually ended up being shoehorned out there for probably the last 15 or so minutes. So maybe that was part of what contributed to the malaise in that in that time frame, but Bernard just offers that pace and that ability to turn and do tricks with the ball that makes the defenders have to take two steps off him when he's ready to receive the ball. And it gives him the ability to turn and then look forward. And he played some unbelievably well weighted through balls, getting Dominic Calvert Lewin in on goal, Richarlison. Um, the build up to the Richarlison goal was amazing. Uh, we got Bernard, Luca Dean involved, as well as uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson had a nice little pass just to see that build up play and to, to execute on that. Because at that point, um, we had created a f- some really good chances, largely bossed the game. And it felt like, again, much like the first half at Anfield, created really good chances, but had nothing to show for it. And so to finally get that brilliant finish from Richarlison, I think really uh, took a lot of weight off the player's shoulders for at least uh, a short period of time in the match. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the build, the build up play, um, for the Richarlison goal is something that I think, especially the, the pass that Gilfie put in stopping it, I think it was as far, far back from our half as, uh, the halfway line. And so the, he kind of was the initiator of that build up play, but largely up until that point, I thought that he, for the most part, was missing for a good bit of the game. Tom Davies put in a great shift today, definitely back in the squad, um, earning his spot and just doing a really, really good job. Not doing very much to hold on to the ball, but had some really good passes, kept the, kept the passes quick and kind of kept us with building momentum through the middle of the pitch. But I think that Gilfie Sigurdsson, other than, um, the few tackles that he put in and a couple of key passes, he largely was absent for 
a good bit of the game. I didn't, I didn't know how you felt he did, uh, this game after, after the criticism he received the last couple of weeks, especially. The Sigurdsson performance was mediocre at best. And you could say it was again, quite unimpressive. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think he's a true central midfielder where he can play with just two in the middle. I think he really benefits when there's two midfielders behind him, giving him backup. Can't fault his work rate. I mean, there's so many times when I saw him really, really hustling off the ball, but then at other times on, especially defensively, he really just finds himself in no man's land where he'll just be planted in between like a triangle of three players, but really not in any passing lane in particular. And then the ball will go and he he doesn't have the pace to really close down effectively. And furthermore, his ability to make tackles isn't all that great. Although there was one particular moment where he did lose the ball uh, trying to do something fancy. And then he worked really well to get back and win the ball back just outside our own 18. But I don't think he'll have done anything to dissuade his critics that he's certainly deservedly got uh, earned, you know, through his performance this season. I just it's so hard because the Goodison crowd was up for it for quite a time when the team was working hard. And then the, immediately when things start to look a bit uh, start to go a bit downhill, then all of a sudden you hear the groans, the moans. And I get that. But nothing about that. The advantage of playing at home is that you have the crowd behind you and it helps motivate you and get you up for it. So to just see that the negativity so quick to creep back in, even though we're up one nil and we're fighting for the win, it, it was a little bit frustrating. But as far as Sigurdsson is concerned, I thought Davies outshone him for pretty much the entire game. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I think I think Tom Davies, um, like I said, did absolutely a job today. Um, one thing that I was just kind of reflecting on through this whole performance is Dominic Calvert-Lewin had an amazing game, like I said, putting on the pressure. Mason Holgate, I would say, I would argue, was up there for being our man of the match. He would be probably one of, there's a couple players that kind of stand out to me. He's one that over probably since October, November, has just really shown as being mm -hmm. a young talent. I think um, the lone move to West Brom that he underwent last season, um, really kind of worked wonders for him and gave him the opportunity to really get some game time and work, work his way into the first team. And so what we're seeing now is all these young guys that people, especially last season, and there was a lot of talks um, this past summer and the summer before of, are these players really going to make the cut? Do we, even though these are kind of our um, young talent that we've had for season after season, are they really going to kind of make the cut? Really, really starting to be our players that are kind of shining through uh, a lot of the negativity and criticism that the team is undergoing right now. We're seeing a lot of our young guys, our, our up-and-coming talent really doing a job for us and being a lot of the times kind of our workhorses and showing these seasoned internationals and the people who I think a lot of times get more of the glory and have higher expectations for performances, really showing them um, kind of what the, what the performance standard should be going forward in games. Yeah, I agree that Mason Holgate had a really good game. I believe I heard on the broadcast, and I, I could be mistaken, that this is his 15th consecutive start, which just goes to show um, the faith that both, I mean, Marco Silva and Carlo Ancelotti and Duncan Ferguson have shown in the young player. And, he, and they, of course, all haven't been at center back. He stepped into defensive midfielder when necessary, played at right back at times. And I think he deserves to continue to play because he's shown um, not a, not the complete package by any stretch, but he's shown the work rate. He's shown the fight, I think. I think players and or fans, rather, 
can really like fall in love with a player like Mason Holgate because he has that little bit of edge about him where he'll go into a challenge and he's not really going to back down from anybody. And I think fans really like to see that. Another player who I thought performed really well and we haven't really mentioned yet uh, is Luca Dean. Obviously ended up with the assist for the Richarlison goal with a really, really nicely slotted ball on the ground. Um, we had talked about midweek with Matt Jones and Alex. We talked about potentially Leighton Bain starting this match because Luca Dean hasn't really shown all that much this season compared to last season, despite the fact he was our player of the season. And I think, uh, or rather last year, he was our player of the season. I think today he showed why he has mean, managed to keep Leighton Baines out of the team for basically his entire tenure as an Everton player. I thought he was really effective combining with Bernard, which is a relationship uh, that we haven't seen between those two in a long time. And today we we saw what makes those two so effective. They both have a really good understanding of what the other is going to do. Luca Dean seems to be able to get forward much more effectively when Bernard is creating space for him by drawing players in. And I was really pleased to see Luca Dean get back to his best football today. Yeah, that that has been huge. I know a lot of doubt has sort of been cast as to whether, at least with his performance this season, I mean, there's no there's no denying um, the job that he did for us last season. He was absolutely instrumental. His set pieces um, were just totally out of this world. Awesome. Um, just really excellent. Very reminiscent. And that's kind of the the line that people have been drawing this whole time is, He's sort of what Leighton Baines was for us in the early uh, 2010s. It's very much um, kind of a reflection of that player. And Leighton Baines can obviously still do that, still do the same job. But clearly, Luca Dean has a much, much more years of uh, of playing time ahead of him. And so it's good to see him coming back in and and putting in a good performance because, I mean, French international, uh, there was a little bit of pressure. I don't know how much these rumors have kind of persisted, but I know that there was a lot of talk with over the last month or so with the January transfer window opening up that uh, Leon was interested in him um, a little bit. And I think putting forth somewhere in the vicinity of like a 40 million pound bid for him, which um, I don't know whether how true those rumors are or anything, but uh, he, he very much, has kind of shown up to this point that he's very committed to being an Everton and continuing to do a job for us. And yeah, today I think really um, did a wonderful job. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And and as far as the Leon rumors, again, I don't know. It's hard to trust really any football journalist these days, but I have a hard time being convinced that Everton would let him go for something as low as 40 or even let him go mid season being easily one of our better players consistently over the last two years. I did want to touch on a couple more things, namely the Dominic Calvert-Lewin quote-unquote uh, handball goal. What did you make of that? What did you think that – I th- personally, I thought that it was probably a handball. He clearly like lowered his shoulder and probably hit his upper arm. You can debate where the arm begins, yada, yada, yada. But it was certainly an intentional movement by him. I think the yellow card probably a bit harsh. I would say that the yellow card definitely, um, definitely a bit harsh. I don't think that there was anything malicious in it. Uh, that's one thing that the commentator had said was, Oh, that's, that seems like that was something malicious that he did. I don't really see that. I see, um, he's really pressured behind him from Dunk being right there, being so close to the goal line, um, kind of being caught in the scurry of all those players within the box. I think. 
probably just from that pressure and wanting to get ahead on it, but the way that it falls and kind of comes in contact with his body is so close that he knows he's not going to be able to get a full head on it. I think his hope is to just sort of hit it with his chest and with the pressure of dunk behind him, he ends up just sort of falling forward. It's really awkward. I think that it's definitely a stretch to say that there was anything malicious about it or him intentionally trying to get away with it. The whole situation just seemed very sort of awkward and with all of the energy in the box and all the players moving around. I don't I don't really think that there was anything malicious in it. Definitely agree. I think I, th- I don't know exactly what the wording of the rule is, but I think the the intent there um deliberately to like lower your shoulder the way he did um whether it's malicious or not, I don't know, can you maliciously handball? It, it intent to deceive the referee, you could say, did he did he mean he clearly wasn't going to be able to get it with his head and at that point it's kind of get whatever part of your body you can on it to to smash it into the back of the net. And he did that, but I think that's a situation where VAR does get the call right if you save the yellow card. And there were numerous other times. There was a, there was a bash on Mason Holgate in the box. There were a couple other fouls that, for whatever reason, didn't seem to get reviewed. So it was a frustrating day for for people who continue, as the, as the criticisms of VAR continue to mount up. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was... Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's decisions as far as the substitutions in the match, it, he made three. When he well, when he named his bench, you could tell that it was definitely you know the only offensive player on the bench was of course Moise Keane, who warmed up extensively in the second half and then never ended up coming on as Carlo elected for three defensive substitutions, removing Bernard Walcott and Dean and bringing on Fabian Delph, Seamus Coleman, and Yeri Mina. What did you make of the substitution decision? Because it seemed like those decisions sort of fueled. Brighton coming into the game a bit more in those last uh, last fa- phases of the match. Yeah, I mean, I think that a argument can definitely be made that he made, uh, maybe not even necessarily the fact that he made defensive substitutions, um, but more that he made them as early as he did. I think that we still, if they wouldn't have been made as early as they were, could have kept on a little bit of pressure. I mean, it was clear that we were getting tired at that point, but we could have kept on a little bit more pressure. Um, I personally would have been much more happy and comfortable with a uh, with a two goal lead, put a little bit of a cushion between us uh, and Brighton and sort of shore up the game. That obviously didn't happen, which is why I think we were all sitting very, very tense um, until the end of the 94th minute when... Uh, they said that there was going to be four minutes of added time. My heart kind mm-hmm. of sank a little bit because at that yeah. point, it felt like we were really, uh, really fighting for our lives at that point. I think encouraging those uh, having three defensive minded subs come on, I think really sort of encourages the team to sit back. Uh, it was also very, very clear when Seamus Coleman came on that uh, uh, Carlo Angelotti had said something to him privately about changing the shape and uh, kind of changing the way that they were going to play. And it definitely took a couple minutes for everyone to sort of get on board with that plan. There clearly wasn't enough time for uh, Seamus to come out and kind of have a word with a couple people privately to discuss what uh, the boss had said to him. And so we looked very disorganized when Seamus came on. Um, people's positioning were just really bad. Um, there were a couple chances where uh, Glenn Murray was in really bullying us and yep. right. Um, right on top of our defensive players. And they were, I mean, it was, it was unfortunately really, really reminiscent of uh, 
kind of that run of games under Marco Silva where our defense just looked absolutely uncoordinated and um, not really anybody taking accountability, which at the end of the day, a player like Seamus Coleman, who's been in the squad for as long as he has, um, has a, should have really kind of a voice out on the field um, in kind of directing players where they need to be and making sure that our defense stays shored up, especially when we have all that defensive substitution. So um, even though it was like a very, very convincing 70 minutes where we looked really promising, I think that that last 15 to 20 minutes or so between the uh, the VAR decision, the Seamus Coleman sub, and then Glenn Murray coming on really sort of shone a light on the work that still needs to be done. Um, I think a lot of Everton fans are quick with the uh, with the appointment of Ancelotti to say, I think there was definitely that honeymoon period of him coming in and thinking that we would be gunning for Europe and Champions League spots. But there's, I mean, there's still clearly a lot of work to be done. And um, I think parts of this performance kind of uh, kind of patched over a lot of the problems that that we still have. That's certainly true. And what I found most interesting about the substitutions is that none of them were like for like per se. The only one that you could argue is is like for like would be the substitution of Seamus Coleman on for Theo Walcott. And then what that did was like displace Jabril Sidibe, who clearly, I guess, was directed to then play in front of Coleman like we had been with the five at the back formation or the three, four, two or whatever you want to call it or three, four, three. Um, the, what was interesting was like Sidibe just continues to show that he has a bizarre sense of positional awareness. There was a time when he was pressing forward. If he's presumably playing like a right wing or a right midfielder and he was like alongside Dominic Calvert-Lewin pressing the back line of Brighton. So I think that was like emblematic of the type of disruption to the shape that the substitutions caused. But then once we sort of shorted up, it seemed somewhat comfortable, a bit nervy. I think the crowd probably contributed to that quite a bit. There were a lot of uh, groans and moans in the last 15 minutes or so. And I think that that sort of maybe put the players off a bit. But ultimately, it's a one, another 1-0 one win. And Carlo continues to get results against the teams that we should be getting results against. And he's shown that he's taking us in the right direction. So ultimately, you know, it's a 1-0 win. And I don't think there's there's too, too much to complain about. Like you said, it just shows that there's a lot of work yet to be done. Yeah, I mean, no no complaints from me. A win is a win. Um, I believe they said, and I uh, between the match ending and recording, I didn't. Usually I'll take a peek at the table after mm. uh, yeah, a couple matches here. conclude to sort of take a look to see where we stand. I believe at the beginning of the match, um, we're five points off of Europa League spots. Yeah, I think that's correct. And now just looking at it, we are now 11th on 28 points. We're tied with Southampton and Arsenal, and we are only three points off seventh place. So not a bad place to be. Three points off both Wolves and Spurs, um, and then only four points off Sheffield United, who are in sixth place. Yeah, so still, I mean, still a lot of games this season. I think we've really sort of made it over the hump as far as a difficult, uh, difficult run of fixtures over the winter period. One thing that I think is really going to benefit us that you sort of talked about earlier is now that we've had a full, uh, we had a full week um, for uh, the boss to be on at Finch Farm with the players. I think what's really going to benefit us and what benefited uh, Marco Silva um, in, I believe it was March or February or March of um, last season was having that period of two weeks off over an international break to sort of 
shore up the issues that we were having um, in the team, specifically working on things like set pieces and really sort of filling in the gaps that we needed to work on. And so I think, I mean, not that we all like to be able to get up and watch games on the weekends, but I think having a nice long international break to uh, spend a good amount of time with the players is going to do us a good job and hopefully see us out to the end of the season and uh, end up in a in a spot that we can all be happy with considering how tumultuous the season has been with all the different highs and lows. I completely agree. I think this is just the start of obviously what Carlo Ancelotti is going to be able to do with his Everton side. Things continue will continue to improve as the squad hopefully continues to get healthy. Um, I think that's going to do it for our post-match. I feel pretty good leaving it here. Ethan, thanks again for stepping in. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, James. And um, yeah. Where can uh, where can people find you? you got, you're on Twitter. Throw out your Twitter handle and all that good stuff. Yeah, so I, I'm a member of, uh, Philly Evertonians. Um, we're a group of, um, Philadelphia Everton fans that meets at, uh, O'Neill's pub in South Philadelphia. So if you want to learn more about, um, kind of being an Everton fan in the Philadelphia area, that's at Philly Evertonians on Twitter. And my own personal, um, Twitter handle is at Ethan Brightside on Twitter. All right. Good stuff. Definitely give both those accounts a follow. And if you are in that area, reach out, get involved, join the supporters group. And that's going to do it for us for today, folks. We will be with you midweek, as always, to talk about the latest news and all of those good things. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.